0: Good morning. Hope everybody is doing well today. If you're watching online, welcome. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We finally made it out of Romans 1. I think I preached 12, 13 messages out of Romans 1. And, uh, but uh, it was a good... This is absolutely... Remember, no chapters in in, in Scripture. This, the chapters are there for our benefit to help us find... Where we're, where we're at this morning, but you need to see this as a letter. As you're finding your place, a couple of things going on this morning that you may or may not be aware of that I'm, I'm excited about. And uh, So Jeff Wilkins and Mike Fulbright right now are at a church in Blacksburg leading worship. Uh, through the word and through music, and that's one part of our vision that we have as a church for our, as, as we develop our, our teams of worship, to be able to send those out to places that may be in need, and so they're ministering there today. Uh, our brother Joey Denton is in Calabash right now. He's working on starting a small group for the ministry he works for called Lynx Players, and so if you love golf, you may want to Check out his ministry. It's, he's doing an awesome thing, and he's starting small groups all over the place. And uh, so we got our folks ministering today, and toward the coast, and, and even right here close by, and so just excited about that. So, so let's—a uh, lot to look at this morning, and so let's stand to our feet. For the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at these verses. So this week and next week, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I'm bleeding over into, into verse five. But let's just look at verses one to four this morning. This is the word of God. God's word says in Romans chapter two and verse one, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you judge. because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that to Judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather together over your word, a lot has transpired in our world over the last two weeks. And there's no accident that we are in Romans 1 and Romans 2 and have these verses in our minds. So, Lord, give us your mind to give us a biblical mind to understand not only what your word says, but to understand what's going on in our world in light of who you are and of what you said is going to happen in a world without christ and so lord give us hope today but at the same time give us that picture lord that uh that james points us to that mirror for us to be able to see clearly this morning as the word of god speaks not only to them but as the word of god speaks to us and so lord give us ears to hear and eyes to see in jesus name amen so, I would be remiss. We do have a, a prayer guide, and we'll pray for Israel and the Middle East at the end of the service and make those available on that black table as you leave. Uh, but what a last couple weeks in the news, right? There's really only one thing on the news right now. And really, I, I hope that you see what's going on in light of what we have been studying. The, the wickedness of man and the evilness of man going deeper than most of us can take in as the benefit of, or not, of, of, and I think it is a benefit, whether we realize it or not, of technology that allows us to see um, the wickedness of man on a vivid display on our TV screens. What happens to people What happens to religious people when God gives them over? When God removes all restraint? Not only leads to sexual chaos, but if you remember from chapter 1, at the end, it leads to all kinds of things, those kind of things that we are seeing on the news. Murder and chaos. As the Bible says, wars and rumors of wars. Terror on the street. We could look at the news in Romans 1 disconnected, but that would be a grave mistake. But here's, here's what also, we can also do. We get through with Romans 1 and we send our coin. Yeah, you tell them, preacher. This world's in trouble. Y'all people need to look at Romans 1. God's about to deal with y'all. See, chapter 2 opens up and says, what about you? Okay, we've, we've talked about them, now he's about to talk about you. If you look at verse 1, it says, you have no excuse. <laughs> so he's moved from them to you, he's moved from, talk, from getting general to getting rather personal. So I just want you to know this morning that he's talking about you. I mean, that's what it says, it says you, it didn't say me. Because I have this cup. Now, I know you might have a, a thermos cup that keeps it cold. Mine's got that nice little lid on it, keeps my coffee hot. I got coffee in there right now, and I want to take a sip, but I'm not going to because I might get choked, and that would be embarrassing. But I just want you to know But because of this cup, I'm better than you. I know you don't feel that way. I'm just trying to help you because this cup is a Christian cup. It is. I bet my brother here knows what kind of cup this is, don't you? So, so my illustration is going to break down because you might have one of these cups. But the rest of y'all people, besides me and him, don't have one of these cups. You don't have this cup. This is a Christian cup. This is a Baptist cup. Matter of fact, this is a missional, missional mug. This is from the North American Mission Board. It's got the word send on it. Right? So... Because of this cup, I'm better than you. I'm, I'm okay with God because of this cup. Now, I'm trying to be serious, but it's sort of silly, isn't it? That's the issue. That's the issue with the Jewish people, not just simply then. It's just the issue with the Jewish people even today, that they feel like they're okay because of something like a cup. Something like where I was raised and my ethnicity, my background, and I got a cup that says my grandma was a Christian on it. Or Jesus. Or I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me on my cup. And I like my cup. Our cup is our religious tradition. Think about there's probably no, nobody more religious than Hamas. Look where it's leading. The Jewish people thought, that's what he's dealing with in chapter 2, that they were okay because of something on the outside of the cup. Their ethnicity, their culture, their traditions, and how about us this morning? So I want you to fly up a little high this morning so you see what Paul is trying to accomplish. Just look in chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul, this is Paul's driving point. This is what he's trying to do. Paul is like a prosecuting attorney that's going to get everybody in on the indictment eventually. Look at chapter 3 and verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. After everything that we're we're going to study, we have studied and we are going to study, it it comes to a head right there at verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are what? Are under sin. That's the point. Look down at verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. That's the issue. That's what he's trying to get to today. So he's not worried about whether he offends the Gentiles or the Jews. He's worried about the fact that they they know that they are accountable to God and there's only one remedy. There's only one remedy for this problem of evil. We can get mad at God and say, Why does God allow what's happening over there? Or we can say, All that that is showing us is there is evil in the world and there is only one remedy for that evil. This this section is talking about us. And what he's doing here, so you know his language, when he has the you-them dynamic. That's why you need to pay attention when you read your Bible. Is he's saying between the you and the them is all of humanity. It's everybody. He's gonna throw everybody in the net. Those who boast in their depravity. Those who kill women and children and put it on the news for, for people to see. And those who boast in their self-righteousness polishing their cup. The warning for the, Jewish, the Jews in, the, in chapter 2 is they assume that their national identity is sufficient to provide them a right standing before God. You see, the gospel reveals every man's need. But the good news is that God's kindness calls for all people to repent. We're going to look at the kindness and the repentance next week. But I want us to see... The great need that we can see through man's judgment and God's judgment. First, man's judgment. Man's judgment reveals our need. And the first thing it reveals is, I I hope I gave you a sense of that with the the silly illustration of of the cup of spiritual pride brings judgment. That's spiritual pride. Look at verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, old man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, as he says, the judge, practice the same things. Now, most likely with the Jewish people, their core issues were not sexual sin as the pagans. Remember, I said they, they abhorred that. They considered homosexuality, and we talked about the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, they, they would they, would, they saw that and would see it as an abomination before God. But what Paul is getting at is don't see that you're above falling in to verses 29 and verse 31 on the rest of the list. They, that could be what he had in mind. Sitting so they're going, you can fall into those things just like anybody else. But more likely than that, Paul is going deeper with these, with these folks. There is nobody... On God's green earth, besides maybe us, Christians, that have more revelation of God, especially in that day, than the Jewish people. God had chose them. He gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. He told them there was a Messiah coming. And yet He found them polishing their cups, thinking that that their cups were going to make them right before God. He's saying, yes, the Gentiles are idolaters. They, they go to those temples and they, they venerate their gods and they, they have relations with prostitutes and all of the homosexuality we talked about was rampant in the Greco-Roman culture. He said, but the Jews are just as much idolaters as the Gentiles because they have made themselves the point of what they worship. Through their self righteousness, through their legalism, thinking they have done something in and of themselves, or that they are something in and of themselves, and that's what makes you right before God. And so, in doing that, then they begin to look at other people and cast a judgment, setting themselves up, as the text says, as the judge. We, we have to go here, don't we? We should have already had this passage in our head. Matthew 7, matter of fact, we're going to look at it again in our small groups. Matthew 7, 1 to 5, Jesus deals with this issue of judging. Let's know what he says. Matthew 7, verse 1, says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will say clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So these judges were professional speck pullers. The root of this this plague that was in them, this sin that was in them, was pride. They saw themselves as over someone else right before God for some kind of reason. Just the fact that they were Jews or just the fact that they were Baptists or whatever the case might be. There's no more dangerous thing than pride. C.S. Lewis was, man, if you've never read Mere Christianity, you need to read it. Let me just give you a little quote here. Some C.S. Lewis to make you chew on something. He says, In God, you come against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that. And therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you know not God at all. He goes on to say, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as as you are looking down, you can't see something that is above you. Spiritual pride reveals our gospel need, and it always, it always leads to outright hypocrisy. That's what he gets to in Matthew 7. Outright hypocrisy. We make make judgments, thus putting ourselves in the judge's seat. What we're doing and what he's saying, and you just have to keep reading in Matthew 7 to make sure you don't take Matthew 7 out of context. It's one of the most used verses out of context, even people who, who know not Christ know Matthew 7. What he's saying is, don't go in someone's house and start moving their furniture around to, you to, to get your furniture in order. Don't go dusting someone else's furniture. You know, go in there going, Whew. man, when is the last time? I mean, get some, get some pledge. You, y'all need to get to work. I mean, Rick, what you been doing? Right, and then I, you know, I go in my own house and I don't even see the dust. Right? It's not that I just ignore it. It is that spiritually proud people don't even see their own issues. That's what C.S. Lewis was getting at. The more we see God for who He is, the more we see ourselves with absolute clarity. The point here is not to judge. That's not the point. Matter of fact, you keep reading, you get to verse 15 and 16. What he tells you to do is that you need to be able to look at a false teacher's root and their fruit and call them what they are. And when you call a false teacher a false teacher, what are you doing? You're making a judgment. The Bible cannot mean what it does not say. We, we make judgments all the time. It would be ridiculous for the Bible to tell you, thou shalt not make a judgment. It, what it is telling you to is to make sure that you deal with this. This cup is indicative of your life. And I've got a terrible problem. It's a bad habit. My wife would tell you what it is. I bet you she could tell me right now what it is when I hold a cup in my hand. She never, I never finished my drink. Right? Come on, brother. That's right. Never finish it. I I know right now, we were talking about this last night, orange juice is $7 a gallon. But if I put it in the bottom of my cup, I'm not going to drink the last little bit of it. I've got coffee in here right now. And here's the issue. I can tell you from firsthand experience. You, you, You hear this little bit of coffee in here? if. I'm not going to use this cup, and I don't know why. I only drink out of this cup on Sundays. Don't ask me how. I usually go to the coffee shop. That's that's my... I usually go to Red's. Ooh, is that an advertisement? Not an advertisement. Just telling you where I go. If I leave that coffee in this cup till next Sunday, some amazing scientific things begin to happen inside that cup. Fuzzy Wuzzy was, was a bear begins to materialize inside that cup and i can open the lid and i can slide it under my curb and i can hit the button if i want to but something's going to be wrong that's here's what he's saying this morning don't go messing with somebody else's cup because the first thing i have to do on sunday when i come in here is not get ready for the sermon you know the first thing i do i wash my cup i clean my cup he's saying clean your cup this is the problem, do we think we're right before God because we got, I'm a Baptist on our cup, There're going to be a lot of Baptists on Judgment Day when God says, "Apart from me, I never knew who you were. Because you've never had the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Change something into your essential nature of who you are, because that's what must drive everything that we do. If not, we set ourselves up as judges in other people's lives, and we, we say we possess the Bible when the Bible has never possessed us. That's what's going on in the text. I spoke over at the rescue mission this week. This was one of the verses that just jumped out at me as, as I worked on the message this week. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus is talking about how to build our life. And he says, everyone then who hears the word of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Do you see that? It's not enough to simply possess it. It's got to possess you. It's got to be moved toward obedience. That's what following Christ is. Is not just some kind of external thing to see the Holy Spirit transforming our life from the inside out, conforming us to Christ, and us loving it. But instead, what happens is it produces this hypocrisy that produces a double standard in our life. Look at what verse 2 says. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. God's judgment always falls rightly in light of his character and truth and justice. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what we do is we sit there and talk about those rotten LGBTQ people. Meanwhile, we are lusting in our own hearts and think it's okay. We're waiting until our wife goes to bed and then we're opening up our computer, satisfying the lust of our heart. When Jesus said in Matthew Five, twenty-seven, and 28 you have heard it said thou shalt not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What he's saying is what have you done with that passage inside of you before you keep throwing rocks at the pagans you better make sure that your cup is clean lest we turn out like David Happened in David's life. You remember David? Second Samuel 12. The prophet Nathan had to come to David. But do you remember the story? Uriah and Bathsheba. Uriah only had really three things in his life. He had his honor. He had his wife. And he had his life. And David tried to take them all. And he got them, two of them. He never took Uriah's honor. Read a story. Uriah kept it to the end. But what happened? Do you remember? Nathan the prophet comes and he tells the story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had a lot of sheep. The poor man only had what? One little old lamb. More like a pet. He had visitors. The rich man had a visitor come. And what did he do? He took the poor man's sheep. And he killed it. And he served it. For supper, and you remember what the king did. David explodes in anger. What I would do to this man if I get my hands on him. And what did Nathan say? You the man. That is the tendency. The spiritual pride raises up in this not only a hypocrisy, but with this hypocrisy, a double standard. Man's inconsistency in his judgment reveals our desperate need for the gospel, but so does God's judgment. We're going to, matter of fact, that's what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. That God's judgment is based, according to this text, on three things the truth, works of righteousness, and the knowledge that we've received. So we're going to talk about judgment for a while. And so I'm just introducing you today. What I want you to understand is that judgment is a reality. God's judgment is based on truth. So as a skilled attorney, he's he's getting this part first, that God's judgment is based on truth. In other words, God's judgment doesn't fall randomly. It always falls. As the text says, you see the word? Rightly. Rightly. Do you remember Genesis 18, 25? It's It's when those men come and they're going on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord says, I can't hide from Abraham what I'm going to do. And so they begin to have Abraham and the Lord begin to have this conversation, this almost bartering where Abraham was, was mediating for the people of Sodom and say, there's got to be at least a handful of righteous people there. Notice what he says. Genesis 18, 25 is Abraham Speaking this to the Lord. He said, Far be it from you to do such a thing, that is, to wipe out everybody, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So the principle of of just just countries, to that we don't simply go in there and wipe out everybody is a biblical under- principle because it flows out of the character of God. But we see God's character. Shall the judge of all the earth not do what is just? Deuteronomy 32, four says this, the rock, capital R, His work is perfect for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. God is holy, therefore his judgments are always pure and right. So, God's judgment falls rightly. At the end, the song of Moses arises in Revelation 15, 3, that says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. God's judgment is not doesn't happen randomly. And listen, here's the script truth over and over into God never plays favorites. God never plays favorites. Verse, look down, in, if you're back to Romans 2 and look down at verse 11. God shows no partiality. The context of that is in judgment. God shows no partiality. God will do what is right. By those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 10.34, Peter was just in awe of what God began to do among the Gentiles as they began to hear hear this report. And in Acts 10, 34, he opened his mouth. So it says, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. It's good news today. God's judgment is not bad news. God's judgment is news. It is the way it is. We need to understand it, and we will in the weeks to come. God's judgment is based off truth because that's who God is. John 14, 6, God, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, 13 says the Holy Spirit of truth is coming to guide us into all truth. And you remember the prayer in John 17, 17? Sanctify them in what? The truth. What, is, what does it say? Your word is truth. So that immediately grabs a hold of me. Then that Matthew seven twenty four says, Everyone who hears the words of mine, that is, everyone who hears the truth and does them, will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. God's judgment is based off truth. We'll see in verses 5 to 11 that also is going to be based off works of righteousness. And verses 12 to 16 will teach us that it's based off of the light or the knowledge that either people have or do not have. But this is the point this morning. It's a very simple one. God's judgment is guaranteed. God's judgment is guaranteed. Verse 3 Do you suppose, O oh man, You who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. The day of the Lord is a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5.10 could not be any more clear. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of Romans says, But because of the, your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The day is coming. Here's the question this morning. In light of that reality, and we're going to talk about the judgment of the righteous and the judgment of the wicked. We're going to clarify those things. Those things are coming. You're welcome. Please read ahead in in Romans and see where we're going because we're just going to always study what's next. But today, in light that God's judgment is a guarantee, how should we live? How should we respond? How should that affect the way we relate to other people? called to mind is not in your notes. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. After that great 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 about being a new creature in Christ and that we've been giving this ambassadorship to take the gospel out to all peoples. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 says, Working together with Him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time i listened listen to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. So in light of this, whether you're listening online or whether you're here, in light of the reality that there is coming a day when God will judge justly in your life and in mine, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. We don't wait till that day. That day will be too late. Today is the day. We need to respond in repentance and faith. You don't have to say a hokey prayer or sign a card or take a class or get a t-shirt or get a cup or, or whatever the things may be. The Bible commands that all men repent and put their faith in Christ. No matter whether they are a Jew or Gentile, the Jew first... And then the Gentile. How should we respond? In light of this, I hope that you feel that. We should not respond in spiritual pride, but we should respond in humility. Understanding this. What do we really have to brag about? Now, we do have something to brag about. It reminds me of Luke 18. I'm sure you remember it, Luke 18, 9 to 14. Jesus tells a story. I love, when Jesus tells a parable, the key to understanding the parable is either at the beginning of the parable or the ending of the parable. That's free today, but that's a secret to understanding a parable. He said in verse 9, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you see that? That's the message today. Do you remember the two men? He tells the story of two men. One was the religious, most religious of the day, a Pharisee, who comes in beating his chest, bragging about all that he does for God, and just so grateful that he wasn't like that tax collector over there with his face on the floor. And then we see what? The tax collector laying face down, declaring that he wasn't worthy, that he was a sinner, humbling himself before God. And what, is, what does Jesus say? There was only one of them who got upright with God. Only one. What do we have to, We only have one boast. Listen to this. Jeremiah 9, 23, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So yes, we have something to boast in, but only that we are in Christ. And that is absolutely connected to then, how do I relate to other people? I mean, how do I practice this Matthew 7 log and speck principle practically? Because I can't help you grow and you can't help me grow if we're not willing to make judgments in each other's life. If we're not vested to be able to speak into your life and you speak into my life. That's why there's a church. That's what we're here for. Before I get to that, I just... I just say this. It's part of our vision here at Battleground Community Church that I will never busy your life up coming to church six times a week. We have a very simple vision that you need to prioritize. Gather weekly for worship. Join a biblical community. And find some way in your life practically to carry on the mission of God. That's it. And if you do those things, according to what I see in Scripture, not only will you grow, but we will grow together. And the mission of God will be accomplished. So how do we do this in other people's life? First, we do it humbly. We speak humbly into each other's life. After we realize what we realize, listen to, listen, listen to some of these passages. You don't have to listen, um, turn to them unless you want to. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Just listen to Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. So there is a confidence there. Do you, do you see it? But there's a humbleness there that never forgets who I was outside of Christ. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full accept, acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He never forgets the fact that he is the chief sinner, but that God saved us for a purpose. And we long to see that purpose. Whether that purpose, that person is struggling with their sexuality or their identity, or a Christian who is in, in snobbery, cleaning the outside of his cup, what we long to, for him to see is to, be, is to be born again and have the spirit indwelling them that begins to change that fruit that's hanging on their tree, because that's the only way that it's going to change. We do that humbly, but we do it in ourselves, amongst brothers. There's no room for pride because we all had the same problem to God saved our soul. We do it humbly and we do it gently. Listen to our Lord, how he deals with people. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. We must know how Jesus corrects us, and we must follow his lead. In love, from truth. And listen, you cannot do this outside of an abiding relationship. You must be vested in the people that you pull the speck out of their eye, and the ones that are pulling the, helping you pull the log out of yours. We've got to be vested in people's life for that. You've got to have biblical community for that. That's why it's important that you have it. Because the assumption is we all have something, so to speak, in our spiritual eye that we cannot see unless somebody else helps us take it out. And that takes humility. And we must do it humbly. We must do it gently. We must do it gratefully. We must do it always in light of God's mercy in our own life. Do you remember Luke chapter 7, verse 47? He was in that home of some spiritually proud people when this sinful woman comes and begins to wash his feet. Jesus uses that as a teaching example in Luke 7:47. He says, "Therefore I tell you." Her sins, this sinful woman, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. The opposite of that is true. He who realizes that he has been forgiven much, will love much. So the question today that we need to ask is, "How you doing?" How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing on the inside of the cup? It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to put on us a, a facade of okayness. We must be willing to say, you know, I'm not okay on, on the inside. Because the gospel, remember our three circles, that brokenness is an opportunity. To turn to Christ and the gospel so that we may be restored and recovered. The most important thing in your life that you need to know this morning is that Jesus is not able to save you. He is able to forgive you and to lead you on a path of rest- restoration so that your life may be full and that, that you may experience what the Bible calls an abundant life. There is a great reversal that is coming. And either it's going to produce eternal life into eternal reward, or it will completely reverse and lead to eternal judgment. And what he, Paul is telling you and what I am begging you is this, choose life. Choose life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word and the gospel. We thank you that we can sing the gospel, Lord. It's what we're about to do Sing of the wonder of your cross, Lord. We, we thank you that you've given us the Lord's Supper that we can take every week when we come. And remember, even before we go to the tables, Lord, even now while we're praying, that we are a great sinner and you are a mighty Savior. So, Lord, would you forgive us even now, because we don't want to come to the table in an unworthy way. We want to come in light of what your Son has done and is doing for us right now. And so, Lord, we even plead the blood of Christ in the name of your Son now for us as your children to cleanse us, renew us, and comfort us, to give us joy to be able that we can come as a one body to the tables To remember the body of your son and the blood of your son, and to celebrate that again as we wait for our faith to be sight. Lord, we do long for that day. We long for that day when there's a new heaven and there's a new earth, and that people don't shoot rockets to see each other anymore, and there's no more murder, there's no more war. No more wicked. But Lord, we live in a day where there is. And so we ask for your help today. That we do not lose hope. That we spend as much time in your word as we do in watching the news this week, Lord. So that we don't get hopeless and negative, Lord. The gospel is always hope, Lord. And so, Lord, let us worship you now. In spirit and in truth. For you long for people to do these things. And because of Christ, we can. And so we lift up our voice now, in Jesus' name. Amen.